Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 2, 6 to 16. Yet among the mature, we do not impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of the age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand that things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but in himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You may be seated. As we get seated, let me pray for us. Lord of glory, open our eyes that we, may, that we may behold wondrous things in your law. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, my name is Sam. I'm one of the pastors here and it's my joy to open up God's Word with you this morning. So, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now am found, was blind, but now I see. These are not words that I've written on my own. Many of you will know these as the first lines of the song Amazing Grace, one of the most famous Christian songs of all time, a song still sung regularly across the world. Barack Obama's version of it on YouTube has more than 8 million views, and it was even sung on The Simpsons. But what many of you may not know is that throughout the years, there has been opposition to these lines that I've just read out. People have tried to edit or even remove this part of the song. You see, the thinking goes, how can humans be described as wretches, as lost, as blind? Isn't that demeaning to people? We're not that bad after all. Humans are good. Songs like this should be banned or at least changed because it leads to low self-esteem. That exaggerates how bad we really are. You see, we hear a story like this and we think, that's something we would never do, at least not to a song like Amazing Grace. But then, haven't we all been tempted to change or take out part of the gospel message? The, you know, the message that God created us. We sinned. Christ died for us and so we live a life of faith in God, repenting of sin and submitting completely to God's authority. You see, there are some parts, perhaps many parts of the gospel message that, that don't quite square with the wisdom of the world, how the world lives and thinks and believes, right? 
In the face of this opposition from the world, let's be honest, isn't it tempting to leave out or change or at least just sugarcoat those parts of the gospel message that the world opposes? Sometimes you tell ourselves, we sugarcoat it now so that we can, so we don't scare them away late, uh, at first. Today's passage is an encouragement for anyone who ever has or ever will face opposition for being a Christian. You see, in the midst of temptations to give in to the wisdom of this world, how the world lives and thinks and believes, God calls us to be confident in His wisdom and dependent on His Spirit. Those are our two points for this morning. Confidence in God's wisdom and dependence on God's Spirit. So to our first point, confidence in God's wisdom. We're going through a series in 1 Corinthians and wisdom has been a big theme so far. The word wisdom appears in the letter 17 times and 15 of those 17 times has been compressed into the first two chapters. You see, what was happening in the Corinthian church is that there were parts of the gospel message that, that went against the wisdom and values of the world around them. You see, the world around them prized status and success, honour instead of shame. How then could the central message of Christianity be that God was crucified? That He died the humiliating death that was reserved only for the lowest criminals and social outcasts? A popular phrase at the time in the world that the world used was, I alone am rich, I alone am king. Why then would anyone in their right mind live the Christian life of service and sacrifice and dependence on this humiliated deity? You see, what had happened was facing opposition from the world, the Corinthians had given in. They were living based on the wisdom of the world. The church in the inside has started to live and think and believe just like the church, like just like the world on the outside. And this is what had led to divisions and quarreling with each other. And so Paul has found out about what's happening and he spent so much of the letter so far just exhorting the church to live not by the wisdom of the world, not by plausible words of wisdom and fancy rhetoric, but by the gospel, by the word of the cross, by the message of Christ crucified, even though it seems like foolishness to the world. For example, 118, Paul writes, For the word of the cross is folly, which means foolishness. Foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then in 2 verse 4, he writes, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, Paul is exhorting, live by the gospel. Live by the word of the cross, even though it seems like foolishness to the rest of the world. But then he says, even though it seems like foolishness, it's actually wisdom. Look at our, our first verse for this morning, 2 verse 6. Yet, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. You see, the gospel, the word of the cross, the, the message of Christ crucified seems like foolishness to the world, yet, yet Paul reassures us it is true wisdom. When facing opposition from the world, Paul says, stand firm. 
stand firm and be confident in the gospel because the gospel is true wisdom. God's wisdom. Now, like, like Christians in Corinth, Christians in Vancouver, we, we face opposition to the world as well, don't we? Parts of the gospel message, parts of what we believe that doesn't seem to square with what everyone else around us lives, thinks, and believes. I'm sure you have, you have your own list of questions and opposition. Let me give you some that I have encountered. How can Christians believe something so illogical and irrational? Did God really create the world? Don't tell me there's such a thing as objective right and wrong. Are we really all that bad? Words like sin and repent are such negative and outdated concepts. Did Jesus really rise again from the dead? Now, what gives God the right to tell me how I should live? And does He really expect me to live that kind of life? I just want to live in the present. Don't bother me with the details. I just want to know how I can feel good and happy now. You know, you know in, in battle scenes, in movies and shows, the troops are always divided into lines of defences. I'm not sure how accurate this is, but if it's in the movies, it must be true. So, you've got, you've got lines of defences and you've got a first line of defence. And, and they do their best to hold the line, but when the, when the opposition is too strong, they break through and so they retreat to the second line and then they retreat to the third line until they're at the final line of defence. And that's normally where the climax of the movie is, isn't it? When the rain starts and the music becomes emotional. They need to make their final stand. They need to stay firm because everyone depends on them. If, if they give in, the opposition would have broken through completely and they would have lost. Now, there are some of us here for whom that's, how, that's exactly how we feel, isn't it? We, we, we are, some of us perhaps are even thinking today, right in this moment, what am I even doing in church on a Sunday. Many of you are by far the minority, perhaps the only Christian among your friends, your family, your classmates, your teachers, your co-workers, the people you follow on media and social media. And many of you, I know because I've spoken to you, are doing your best, your very best to stand firm. But it can be so lonely, can't it? And the opposition can seem so overwhelming. After a while, especially when those close to us, our friends and our family, especially when they have given in to the wisdom of the world, it's so tempting to listen to that voice in our head, to think perhaps, maybe, just maybe, we're the ones on the wrong side. We start doubting ourselves and the truth of the gospel and we think, maybe, just maybe, I'm the one who's got it wrong. Christ City, hold the line. Hold the line. Stand firm. Our passage tells us today, be reassured. Have confidence in the gospel message, in the word of the cross, because it is true wisdom. It's so hard to imagine right now when we're in the thick of it, but there will come a day when the wisdom of this world will pass away. 
there will come a day when all that is left in the light of eternity is God's wisdom. Only God's wisdom will stand the test of time. Christ City, hold the line. Stand firm. Be confident in the gospel. Eternity will reveal that you are on the right side. Our passage today calls us to, be fir- to stand firm and be confident in the gospel, but it also helps us to understand why the world opposes us. You see, the world opposes us and mocks us, not, not because we're wrong, but because the truth is hidden and they can't understand it. Look at verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love Him. Do we see how God describes, Paul describes God's wisdom here? He describes it as secret and hidden. The, the world, the rulers of this age, they can't understand it. It's beyond anything seen or heard or imagined. Humans on our own, we can't understand God's wisdom. On our own humans, we don't have the eyes to see, the ears to hear, the hearts to imagine the truth and beauty of God's wisdom in the gospel. That's why the world opposes the gospel. The only way God's wisdom is revealed is by His Spirit. And so, and so our, told, our confidence in God's wisdom is not an arrogant, self-centered confidence. It's a humble confidence that comes hand in hand with total dependence on God's Spirit. That, that's our second point for this morning, dependence on God's Spirit. Look at me at the, at the first part of verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. These things refer to the gospel, the secret and hidden wisdom of God, as Paul writes in verse 7. They are secret and hidden. We can't understand them on our own. We are completely dependent on God's Spirit to reveal the gospel to us. You know, my dad was telling me once about the time he was in military training in a jungle at night. And he was talking about how it was so dark that you can't even see your hand when you wave it in front of your face. Imagine you're in a place that is that dark where you can't see anything at all. And so the light from a torch is the only way you can see anything. You're completely dependent on the torch to see. That's a bit of how it is with the Spirit. The Spirit is like a light that reveals God's wisdom to us. Without it, we can't see anything at all. We're in complete darkness. We're just fumbling around. It's only by the Spirit that we can see God's truth and beauty. Dependence on God's Spirit is what verses 10 to 16 are about. And when you read it, it can seem a bit confusing. So let me just try and summarize it for us. Verses 10 and 11 tell us that only the Spirit of God can understand the things of God. Therefore, only those with the Spirit of God can understand the things of God. And then verses 12 to 16 just give us a contrast. It it talks about two types of people. The spiritual person and the natural person. The spiritual person is the person with the Spirit of God who can understand the things of God. The natural person is the person without the Spirit of God and so is unable to understand the things of God. 
It seems straightforward enough, doesn't it? We're completely dependent on the Spirit of God to understand the things of God. The thing is, when we talk about the Spirit's revelation, there are a few common misunderstandings that come up from these verses. Misunderstandings that have led to disastrous consequences in the church. Let me, let me try and talk about three of them. The first misunderstanding looks at this passage and thinks, Christians need to strive for a deeper spirituality maturity. We need to do this because in order to uncover deeper, more exclusive truths and secrets about God. See, this misunderstanding reads verse 6, where Paul says, among the mature we do impart wisdom and thinks, you must, we must strive for deeper maturity in order to access deeper wisdom. This kind of misunderstanding looks at verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things and thinks Christians need a deeper and deeper spirituality in order to understand and discern deeper things about God. And we've all seen what happens then, doesn't it? This kind of misunderstanding often leads to a spiritual elitism. Thinking that I'm not worthy to understand God. There's an inner circle of more spiritual people those people alone have exclusive access to exclusive truths about God. Some of these people may even claim to have that they alone have special, exclusive, secret practices that, can, that you can use to get these exclusive truths about God that no one else can access. That's not what Paul is saying at all. Paul is not here describing different levels of spirituality. He's just contrasting two types of people, Christians and non-Christians, people with the Spirit and people without the Spirit, the spiritual person and the natural person, the mature and the infants. I'm not saying here that there aren't Christians with different levels of maturity. I'm not even saying there aren't different levels of engagement with the Spirit. It's just that's not what Paul is saying here. Thinking that I need a special spirituality in order to truly understand God, that, that's heresy. That's disastrous. That's an offense to the gospel. The second misunderstanding is from verse 15, which says this, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. You can see where I'm going with this, can't you? People read this verse, and then use it as a blank check to avoid any accountability or discipline. They think, I answer to God, I don't answer to you. But that's not what Paul is saying at all. The word judge here refers to the idea of evaluating or discerning. Paul is saying that the Christian is able to discern, make sense of God's wisdom because he or she has God's spirit. And so the non-Christian the one without the Spirit, is not able to discern these same things because the non-Christian doesn't have the Spirit. In fact, later on, Paul will talk about the importance of holding people accountable. As one scholar puts it, often those who try to use this verse to avoid accountability are those who need accountability the most. The third misunderstanding is to read this passage and to think that comprehending or understanding the gospel is purely intellectual. 
completely do with logic and reason and everything I can do in my brain. One way this misunderstanding plays out, and I say this acknowledging I'm completely guilty of this, is when we try to argue someone into the kingdom of God. We get into debates and we think that if we just argued or reasoned well enough, or if we gave the right book, or recommended the right podcast, or introduced them to the right speaker, the person would then become a Christian. Now again, don't get me wrong, there is a place for robust debate and defense of the gospel. The questions about Christianity that I highlighted earlier, they are important questions to ask. I'm not saying ignore them. There are answers to these questions, and if you want to chat more about them, I'd love to have that conversation with you. But the point is that the role of the Spirit isn't less than giving intellectual understanding, but it's much more than that. See, Judas, the one who gave Jesus up to the authorities, the one who betrayed Jesus, was one of Jesus' own disciples. A person can walk with Jesus every day, hear all his teachings, and see all his miracles, and still not see Jesus for who he truly is. A person can memorize every argument there is to know. They can know everything there is to know about God, but still not truly know God and understand the gospel. You can read the Bible every day and still not see God for who He truly is. See, the only way for our eyes to be opened, to go from, as Tim Keller puts it very nicely, from seeing, just seeing God as useful to seeing God as beautiful is by His Spirit. So those were the three misunderstandings. Let's talk about application. What does it mean for us to be dependent, completely dependent on God's Spirit? Let me talk about four groups. And, I, as, and, I, and as I go through them, may I just say that more than one group may apply to you. They're not mutually exclusive because I can tell you that more than one group applies to me. The first group are those of us who are pursuing spirituality without God. Spirituality without God. We may call ourselves spiritual but not religious. Spirituality is like, is, is like a journey, a process of discovery through things like meditation and spiritual retreats and even substances that help us access another realm. In, in many ways, you're right. The, the Bible says there is a spiritual dimension to life, but it offers a much better way. You see, the gospel and God's wisdom gives more than just an experience of the divine. It offers a relationship with the divine. The gospel and God's wisdom offers more than just an experience of the divine. It offers salvation, a relationship with the divine. You see, the secret to getting this wisdom is not in anything we can do or discover within ourselves. Because it's beyond anything we can do or discover by ourselves, beyond anything the eye has seen, the ear has heard, or the heart can even imagine. The Bible tells us we don't discover these things. God reveals them. We can't do anything to get them because they're a gift, freely given by God. That's what verse 12 tells us. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, 
but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You see, the wisdom of, of God is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And so salvation is a free gift to all those who believe, a gift of pure grace revealed to us, not something we discover for ourselves or anything that we can earn. And this gift is not just free, it's for our glory. Look at verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. The phrase for our glory describes the final goal of salvation, of God's plan for us in the whole universe, that all of God's people will share in God's glory. You see, the gospel is not just true news, it's good news. It's not just something for our brains to agree with. It's about a person to rejoice over. About a person who loves us more than we can ever imagine. It's about a person who saves us. Saves us so that we can share in His glory. You see, many, many of us oppose God or reject God because we see God as this demanding and controlling being that just wants to take and to control. But that's not how God is at all. You see, the wisdom of God is that before time began, God decreed that He would send His own Son to be crucified by the rulers of this age, to take the penalty of our sins, all so that not so that He can control us, not that he can spend, we can spend our lives de- learning how He's demanding things of us. No, it's so that He can share His glory with us for all of time. And this side of eternity, while we wait for that day, God gives us His Spirit as a down payment, as just a taste of that glory that we will share completely in fullness for all of eternity when we're with Him in heaven. You see, the gospel, when understood correctly, is news that seems too good to be true. But praise God, it is, as, it is true. And it is as good as it is true. And that's why we we should not, we cannot separate true spirituality from the God who gives His Spirit. If the first group is about spirituality without God, the second group is the opposite, almost the opposite. The second group lives a sort of a God without the Spirit kind of life. This group would not, wouldn't deny that God's Spirit exists. After all, it's in the Bible, right? <laughs> but functionally, we would live as if the Spirit has no relevance to us, with little awareness or dependence on the Spirit's work. Today's passage is quite clear. We can disagree about the gifts of the Spirit, but we must never ignore the Spirit or live as if it doesn't exist. You see, how Paul describes Christians as spiritual people, people of the Spirit. All Christians are people of the Spirit. We are all completely dependent on God's Spirit and so we must live each day aware of and dependent on His Spirit at work in us. So spirituality without God 
God without the Spirit. The third group of us are those of us who have a spirituality without trust. Spirituality without trust. And I personally struggle with so much of this because it often comes from a good place with good intentions. We're the type of people to stand up and take responsibility. Not those people who let go and let God, we will do God's work. But the problem comes when, when something good, like wanting to take responsibility, becomes an idol. And we start to take responsibility for things that are none of our business, <laughs> that we have no business taking responsibility for. Let's ask ourselves, one symptom of this is insecurity about our own salvation. We've reached a point where we, have, we take responsibility for our salvation. And so then we become worried or insecure about doing something that might lose us our salvation. We go to sleep each night thinking, have I done enough? Have I done enough? Another symptom of this is anxiety and burnout. That happens when we take responsibility for other people's salvation. I need to do something because that person needs Jesus and there's no one else. I'm the only person who can do it. We may quote scripture. The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, so I need to work harder. And this, this is often from a place of love, isn't it? Because it's often the people we're most anxious over are the people we love most the people so close to us, we can't bear the thought of eternity with God without them. And then when that person rejects God or walks away from church, we take it that much harder because we think we're the ones who, fail, who failed them. And that's why we become prone to taking out parts of the gospel, right? Or at least sugarcoating it. Because we, we, want, we want the message to be more in line with what the world thinks. Because deep down, we don't really trust the Spirit's ability to open eyes. If you're anything like me, and I've spoken to, I, I know that some of you are, <laughs> then you need to hear this as much as I do. Firstly, salvation is a free gift. It's a work of the Spirit. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And so therefore, there's nothing we can do to lose our salvation. Our salvation is secure. Dependence on the Spirit also doesn't mean don't work hard or don't equip ourselves. And, it, and it's so hard to say this, so I, I say this in love. Dependence on the Spirit means that we never fall into the trap of thinking that we love that person more than that God loves that person. Or thinking that God can't do what we want Him to do. You see, depending on God, and this is really difficult, because God in His grace has given us a taste of 
His love for all of creation in the way that He has given us love for those around us. But depending on God doesn't mean, but depending on God means that we don't win people to God, but God uses us to win people to Himself. Do you see the difference? Depending on God's Spirit means that we don't win people to God, but that God in His mercy uses us to win people to Himself. Only God can help them see because only God can give life. And again, I, I need to hear this and so do you. We can trust God because God is trustworthy. The last group of the, are those of us who practice a spirituality without humility. Spirituality without humility. Our lives are marked by divisions and jealousy and quarrels with others. It's not us, we would say. Often, these group of us, we are in denial. It's not us, we would say. It's the other person who's the problem. I'm just standing up for what's right and what I deserve. Now, the Bible doesn't say allow people to take advantage of us. But complete dependence on God's Spirit should lead to a profound humility because His Spirit opens our eyes to see how sinful we really are. Helps us to see that without God, we are sinners. We can do nothing to earn our salvation, to deserve our salvation. You see, that's why the first lines of amazing grace are so important. It's only when we realize how wretched we are without God that we see how amazing His grace truly is. See, a life transformed by grace should naturally lead to gospel unity. Because in gospel humility, we seek first to understand rather than to be heard. We seek first to examine ourselves before blaming others. And we want to forgive much because we have been forgiven much. Forgiven by the Lord of glory who uses even the foolishness of this world for His glory so that we might share in His glory for all eternity. <laughs>